Great stuff. So why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 15, if you've got a Bible with you. Today we're just going to read the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. From Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. The same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. Many years ago, we were living in a house in Landoc, opposite Landoc Hospital on the estate up there. And uh, I lost a pair of trousers. They were my favourite trousers to make matters worse. I didn't, sort of, I didn't lose them while they were on me. I went to find them and, and I couldn't find them. And I went to all the places where I thought they would be. I went to my dirty linen basket. No, they weren't there. I went to uh, Jill's dirty linen. No, they weren't there. I went to the place where Jill hid the ironing that she didn't want to do and thought perhaps they might be there. No, they were, I can say that she's in the other room. It's all right. Uh, they, uh, they, weren't, they weren't there. Uh, and they weren't particularly special trousers. They were comfortable. I liked them. I bought them in Old Navy, a shop in America. I'd had them for quite a few years. They were just casual enough to wear casual, but they were just smart enough to wear with a jacket and an open shirt as well. So I loved these trousers. They were sort of grey colour. I'm getting all reminiscent about them now. But for weeks and weeks and weeks, they were... They were gone. I just didn't know where they were. And we'd explored everywhere and we'd given them up for lost. Which meant the next time I was in America, if I could go back to an old Navy store, would I be able to find the same pair of trousers? I, I didn't know. And then one Sunday afternoon, I'd been at church in the morning, two services, I was going back in the evening. So I was having my quiet afternoon of personal meditation and reflection, otherwise called snoozing on the sofa. And the doorbell rang, and I went and opened it, and as a stranger there, a woman who I'd never seen before, she said, are these your trousers? <laughs> it, was like, it was like a magic trick. It was like, so, you know, are these your trousers? So I said, yes, they are, my, my trousers. Uh, and apparently what had happened was, um, we had washed them, we had hung them on the line outside our house in the garden and the wind had blown them across the fence into a tiny little bit of sort of wasteland between about five or six houses. 
Now, from our bedroom window, we couldn't see this, but this lady lived the other side, and she'd been looking out of her bedroom window for days and days and days and seen my pair of trousers lying in this area. And in the end, her sort of curiosity, frustration, whatever, got the better of her. She climbed over, got them, and she'd been to about a dozen houses in a neighborhood until she got to me. And they were, you know, they had... They had this pair of trousers that had like snails on them and everything. So we had to, we had to clean them up quite a bit. But they, tur they turned back. And you might have, I mean, it's a trivial story in a way, but you might have something in your own life where you thought something was lost. You'd given it up. It might have even been a person. You'd given that person up. You'd given that object up. And then suddenly, all of a sudden, it's found, and uh, you know we mo we moved to our new house about a year ago, and uh, in an ideal world, this morning, as we're talking about the lost sheep and the lost coin, I would have some visual aids with me. I would have uh, a fluffy sheep, which we've got somewhere, and I would have one here, and Jill would have one in there with the kids, a little clay. Um, lamp from Israel, just like the one that the woman in the story would have used to wander around, but we can't find them. So somewhere in our destiny in the future, we're going to go, ah, there's that sheep, or oh, there are those lamps. It would be ever so good if that revelation was this week, so I can have them here next week. But you and I know, just on a human level, the little kick, the excitement, the pleasure we get when we thought something was lost and it's found. And as we read these stories, we're going to need to magnify that feeling by about a million times just to get the intensity of what's going on, not just in the trivial things of material possessions, but when a person who was lost to God becomes found to God. That's what we're talking about this morning. So the first thing I want to talk about is wonder why Jesus is telling these parables and who's he telling them to in particular. I think that's the next slide, hopefully, if the system works. Here we go. Well, Jesus is telling these stories, first of all, to the religious leaders. And they're very critical, not just of Jesus, but of the people that he meets. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, next Sunday, as when we have our picnic together, we're going to be eating with a bunch of people who used to be sinners. We're saints now, but we used to be sinners <laughs> And the Jewish leaders had this re religious thing that they looked down on anybody who didn't match the standards that they had set for themselves. And it's Luke in particular who seizes hold of these three parables and tells them together. Luke, Dr. Luke, he's a man of compassion, he's a man of care. We've got some doctors amongst us this morning. He's a man who looks out for the poor, the broken, the last, the least. 
the lost. And it's him who puts these three stories together. And the Greek word here for, for lost, it's much more serious than a pair of trousers going missing. It's a word that points to danger, points to loss of life, points to eternal consequences. Now in contrast, the Greek word here for found is just an ordinary word, like finding my trousers. But it's used in scripture so often in the New Testament to indicate a thrilling spiritual discovery. To indicate a transition from one place to another. So that somebody, they realize that they are found. You know, we, in other words, we might call that, we might call that salvation. It's that Greek word meaning deliverance, saved, being found. Eyes that are spiritually opened to the forgiveness and the new life that Jesus brings. If you think about it, the Bible is full of many different themes. But here's two of the main ones that run through it. The way to God for the lost and the walk with God when we become found. And Jesus tells three stories here that explain that God is passionately interested with the lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Probably the more familiar of the stories. It's the longer of the stories. In the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll touch base about, about that. See, in Old Testament times, it was taken for granted that God's people didn't consort with who they called sinners. And their definition of sinners have already said that anybody who didn't match their standard, anybody who didn't look right, think right, act right, and the Pharisees extended this so much that it was unthinkable to welcome sinners, to talk to sinners, to eat with sinners. We don't use that word sinner, sinner so much. But let's, put about, let's take it this way. If we had that Pharisaical thinking today, we would say we should never speak to anybody who's not a Christian. We should never welcome anybody in our house who's not a Christian. We should never eat with anybody who doesn't believe the same things that we believe. If we were living like that, what would that say about us? What would, say, what would it say about us to those people that we're treating like that? What, it, what would it say about the God we say we know and love to the people that we might treat like this? And the parables that Luke has put together here, quite often the gospel writers might couple two small parables together. If you think of when uh, Jesus was telling the story of the uh, man digging for treasure, in the or digging in the field and discovers the treasure, and he, is, he pairs that with the parable of the pearl of great price. It's two little, two little stories telling the same thing. Here we've got We've got three. We've got three. And I wonder why three parables. 
Was it Luke just going a bit over the top? Why didn't he just tell this in one story? You probably can't get a, a, a better parable to explain the love of Jesus or the love of God than the loving father, the lost son. So why, why three? You ever thought of that? The shepherd, the woman, the father. We're digging into it this last couple of weeks. I think there are some nuances, there are some differences in each of these stories, and I want to talk to you about them. We aren't specifically told in either, any of these three stories that the shepherd, the father, the woman represent God. We're not told that. Jesus doesn't unpack and explain these parables like he does somewhere else. But we can assume that they represent something of God. So the shepherd, well, we don't need much of a leap of imagination because Jesus is the good shepherd. Immediately conjuring up this picture, an Old Testament important picture for believers, the shepherd of Israel. It was a cultural reference. It was a spiritual reference. People would have known Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And so as the Pharisees are listening to this story, remember the disciples are there hearing in, but Jesus' main audience is the religious leaders. As they're listening in, they're beginning to get, okay, the good shepherd doesn't treat lost sheep in the way that they do. hundred sheep is a normal-sized flock. An account was taken nightly Open country was a safe place to leave the sheep, but they'd need a shepherd there to care for them. And so often frightened or confused or injured sheep would have to be carried on the shepherd's shoulders. And in this story, we hear of this shepherd who leaves 99 sheep and goes after the one lost sheep and joyfully see all the way through these stories there's an element of joy and happiness and gratitude when something that was lost becomes found and the shepherd puts joyfully this sheep on his shoulders goes home that's a tiring journey a walk back to the flock and his shepherd heart rejoices because that lost sheep wasn't injured or eaten by a lion. And so he calls his other shepherd friends together and they have a shepherd party because one sheep that they thought was lost has become found. And Jesus here is using irony where he says, it's more rejoicing over the one lost than the 99 righteous. He's being deliberately provocative to the religious leaders. But he's saying actually if one publican, if one tax collector, if one sinner comes back to me, I'm more grateful for that one than I am for all you religious people who think you've got it sorted out. Jump back a bit 
Tracy, we're still not, here we go, thanks. We, we'll, we are getting there, don't worry. <laughs> now, if the shepherd is fairly obviously Jesus, I wonder who the father could be. Well, that's fairly obviously God. And as I was studying this week, a lot of, a lot of Bible commentators try to explain to us who the woman is. They remind us that the church, you and I, are called the Bride of Christ. And when we have the light of the Holy Spirit shining in us, that's a light for the lost. So it's not too much of a stretch of an imagination to say these three parables are told, partly to give just a different emphasis on God and his loving care and compassion for us. Perhaps this woman does represent the bride of Christ, or the church, the light of God lighting the way. The coin that she's lost is uh, a drachma equivalent to a Roman denarius. It's about a day's wage. It's a part of her savings. It might have been tied up in a rag. It might have been on a string around her neck. It might have been part of her headdress, which she would have constantly wore. But anyway... She's lost this little coin. She's living in a house that on a day like today would be nice and cool, but it's gloomy, it's dark, it's an earthen floor. So she's doing two things. She's sweeping, hoping that she might hear a clink of the coin, and she's lighting her lamp and looking around to see if she can just see the glint of that coin anywhere. Only one small window of light coming in. And the story tells us when she finds it, what does she do? She has a party as well. She calls her friends and neighbours together, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. See, I love the community aspect of this. When the shepherd finds that sheep, his friends don't go, well, we're too busy with our own sheep, thank you very much. We're not interested in your party. They celebrate together. The friends of the woman don't say, what, you're rejoicing over one little coin. Forget it, I've got a meal to cook. They're in on the party. They're rejoicing and celebrating too. And then we've got the father. We'll talk more about, about him next week. It's an obvious depiction of God. And you think about how often Jesus talks about his father and his relationship with his father. So, so now let's jump on to the next slide. So in these stories, I think we can see the full spectrum of salvation. Interesting, each story the lost and found dynamic is slightly different in each one. A shepherd who seeks and saves, a shepherd who goes out and finds that one lost coin. A son, we'll talk about this story next week, but you know the story of the loving father, the prodigal son. A son who seemingly returns of his own volition. A son who realizes that he's lost and realises he's going to need to go back to his family in order to be found. 
and a church who sets about the divine work of seeking the lost. And in that full spectrum of salvation, I think it's the next slide as well, we can come up now. The sheep is lost. The sheep has lost its way. Sheep were notorious for wandering off. A sheep who has lost its way in life and is then found. A coin that's lost its value. I hope this is going to encourage all of you to go home and stick your hands down the side of your sofas this afternoon. Just to try to find some of those lost coins that you've got down there. You could, ha you could have a pound coin down the side of that sofa. It's still valued as a pound, but it's actually worthless, isn't it? Lost down there until it's in your pocket or with the rest of your coins. So a coin that's lost its value then found. And a son who is lost from his father's house. And then he is found. And Luke uses this, this rich imagery for us in, as he tells these stories that Jesus has told. Of lost and found to, dis, to describe, to try to describe what it's like without God. That lostness. And the joy that's experienced by God and the people of God when that person is found. And over the next few weeks, I think it's going to be a good measure for us how much we love lost people. Is there a little bit of the Pharisee in each of us that looks at people who don't dress like us, who don't talk like us, who don't believe like us, who, who don't act like us? It's a little bit of the Pharisee amongst all of us that says those people don't deserve what we've got. Can we grow our compassion for those that aren't yet following Jesus. And there are two levels of this, aren't there? When we step out onto Barry Island in 10 days' time, we're really jumping from here over to here. There may be one or two faces and people that we recognize, but mostly we're going to be going to people we don't really know. And there's a value in that. But let's not forget all those people that we do know, that we are in contact with every day. You and I know people who have lost their way. You and I might be able to remember that time when we were that very person who had lost our way. And but for Christ's intervention in our life, we still might be on that wrong path. You and I know people who feel that they've got no value at all. And that God wants to restore them that value and dignity. And we know people who have either been in God's house once or have felt like they can step out on their own, that they can, they can live the way they want to. And they've come a cropper. And we need to invite them back into that loving relationship with a God and a Father who made them in the first place.
So today's just been a little taster of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll hone in a little bit more. And we'll think of some questions that we haven't thought about today. But let me remind you, we've talked about Jesus telling three stories, Luke telling us the account. He's talking to people who've got spiritual pride, who think they're better than everybody else. And he's reminding them of the compassion that God has for the lost. We'll talk much more about the thrill and the celebration in the coming weeks as well. But we've talked about God as a shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd. We've talked about God being in his church as the Holy Spirit, the bride of Christ, shining a light to find a lost. And we've talked about God, the Father. We often say this, two of the most powerful images in Scripture that demonstrate God's love for the lost are open arms. The open arms of Jesus on the cross, which we remembered this morning. And the open arms of the loving Father waiting for his son's return as he sees him from a long way off. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are recognizing that we're moving into a new season of church life. Thank you that over this last year or so you've reminded us that we should love you first. Thank you that you're helping us love each other week by week as we grow together as a fellowship. And right now we pray over these coming days and weeks that you might grow our compassion for the lost. We pray on two levels, Lord. Firstly, that as a church you might encourage us Make us bold on outreaches on Barry Island as we pray again for divine appointments there. Lord, we pray that we might meet some lost people and that we might be their pathway to Jesus, that we can get them back on the right track. And we pray too individually or as couples or as families that you might place on our hearts the names, the faces of those who we should be praying for. Lord, we might not yet even know what to say or how to say it, but give us a boldness and a faith to pray for them. And Father, as we speak again for new life through New Life Church, we pray that we might experience the joy and the celebration that is at the end of each of those parables when lost people become found people through Jesus Christ. So walk with us, we pray. Walk before us, be with us, remain after us. Give us a growing confidence as ambassadors for Christ to the lost people in our friendship groups, in our families, in Barry Island and beyond, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.